If you want to find your Bibles, we will be in John chapter 1 today. Uh, if you didn't grab a Bible or didn't bring one, that's all right. Uh, you can grab one just like this, like I've got. It's on page 886. That's where we'll be uh, this morning. Um, we are in a series. Uh, we're kicking off a Christmas series, and we're calling it Skinny Santa, and I, I love it. I love that graphic. I love the idea um, we're going to be talking about this for the next few weeks, and I'm, I'm very excited about being able to share some of these ideas with you. I especially love this idea because it has caught in my mind about a year ago, and I just, I want it, and I'm hoping it will also catch in your mind as we think about uh, Christmas. It's pretty hard to talk about Christmas as living in America without including Santa Claus in that, you know, in some way. And what many of us might not be aware of is that Santa Claus is actually a tradition that's kind of grown up. There was a real person named St. Nicholas, and that sort of got passed on, and traditions got moved, and it ended up in Europe, and then it ended up in America, and then it ended up melting kind of together, the American kind of experience of the melting pot. And then eventually in the 1800s, we got a Santa Claus who was jolly, fat old elf. How many of you have heard Twas the Night Before Christmas? How many of you heard it so much you could tell me a line from it, right? We've heard, it was the night before Christmas and not a creature was stirring, not even a, right? It's so popular, right? It just caught into the American imagination. And anything that gets popular and caught in the American imagination immediately gets caught and picked up by a conglomerate who wants to make money on it, which is what Coke very wisely did um, in 1920. How many of you have seen an image like this before? Right. Why do you think of Santa Claus looking like this? You can thank Coca-Cola. They were so, these things were so popular. They're so like Norman Rockwell-esque. It was so popular that this, this kind of image standardized a fat, jolly Santa Claus for you. Which means, guys, that this beloved, iconic image that's meant to to be connected to the most sacred moments of our lives, of our families, of our churches, and of our year, is really just a crummy commercial. Isn't that lovely? (laughs) I think it's great. Oh, man, that's so dark. So, what we are hoping to do is not to get you to uh, burn any pictures you might have or to stop, God forbid, stop drinking Coke. I'm not suggesting any of those things. But what we would like to do over the next several weeks is, is talk about what it would look like for us to sort of slim it all down a bit and focus on the things that, that really, really matter. Because you are about to enter, if you haven't already, the war zone of the holidays, right? It's just craziness, one thing after another, after burden, after burden, after burden, all these things. And, 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 it's, and it's really this, this drift that just happens to it, grabs us and it just pulls us because there's so many forces in your life that are dragging you, which is why I want to encourage you to be here every Sunday because this is the moment. Where else is it going to happen where somebody stands in front of you and says, stop, just stop and remember the Lord is coming. 
And that's what we want to do for the next few weeks. And we are utilizing this Santa Claus idea, the Santa Claus image, because St. Nicholas was a real person. And we have several videos we're actually going to be showing over the next few weeks that will give you a glimpse inside of who Santa Claus, as it were, St. Nicholas, as it re- really was, and, uh, and what he believed and what he did. Because if we look at St. Nicholas in terms of history, he will point us to Jesus Not so sure about the Coke guy, but definitely this guy. So go ahead, Paul. Thanks. Everyone knows Santa's story once he got to the North Pole, but what did he do before then? Santa was born in the modern-day country of Turkey, which sounds more like Thanksgiving than Christmas. And he hadn't started eating all those cookies we leave for him yet, so he was quite skinny. His parents were very wealthy, and when they died, they left him a large inheritance. Santa didn't want to be selfish, so he decided to help as many people as possible with his money. Just down the road from Santa, a family with three daughters ran out of money and didn't even have anything to eat. Their only hope for the daughters to stay alive was for them to get married, but they didn't have the money to do so. When St. Nick heard about this family, he knew he had to help, but he wanted to do it secretly. So on three different nights, while the family was asleep, he went by their house and threw a small bag of gold in the window that was enough for each daughter's wedding. But on the last night, the father stayed up to see who was giving the gold to his daughters. When the bag of gold came in the window, the father ran out and chased down Santa, tackled him, thanked him profusely, and praised God for saving his daughters' lives. But that's not all. Rumor has it when Santa threw one of the bags of gold through the window, it landed in one of the daughter's socks that she had drying by the fireplace. That's how Santa got his start delivering gifts into people's stockings at night. So we see how Santa got his start, as it were, that he had kind of an idea that might be a little bit different because we are used to, especially you kids, right? I don't know, maybe some of you have even gone to the mall and sat on Santa's lap. We asked the question, you know, what will I get for Christmas? Uh, Amazon very smartly sent us a toy catalog this year, and immediately, like as soon as the little, little greedy eyes like lit up, right, Emery? Yes. And started circling, I mean, just excitement, right? But this year, we want to ask the question a little more deeply. What would we give for Christmas? If I could give something, what would we give? What would we share? What would we, what would we give? And partly because I think Christmas and gifts are tied together. And they're tied together because, essentially, we are talking about God's great gift of love to us. And that comes in, in Jesus. And as I think about the text that... And, and you've heard them all if you've been in church. These Christmas stories don't change. But when I think of the first story that I want to go to, or the first text I want to go to, I go to John 1.1. I love this line. I love this text because it's so transcendent in its beauty. John is taking us not to the manger, uh, not to an annunciation where an angel shows up and talks to Mary. He takes us all the way back to the beginning to before the beginning, as it were, before there was such a thing. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made 
In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot and has not and will not overcome it. Those are beautiful words. They communicate, as Eric was talking about, this immense sacrifice. We can imagine death as being a sacrifice because none of us wants to die. We can imagine a brutal death, like a death on the cross and the beating, the different things that he would have experienced. But oftentimes it's hard for us to think about what it would have been like for God in all of his fullness and his deity. Wherever it is that God dwells, right? All of the brilliance and the beauty to sort of cram all of that glory into something that looks human. And that's just incredible if you think about the sacrifice. How many of you had an ache or pain this week? Raise your hand. Right, keep that hand up. I want to see you. Keep them up. If you had an ache or pain this week, if you got sick this week, if your toes hurt this week, if you wanted to get rid of your kids, I mean, (laughs) this week. No, that was too high. Put that hand back down a little bit more. People are judging you. We all know what that's like. We know how difficult life is. It is so hard. And I imagine that the omniscient God who knows all things realized that when he came into this world, it would be messy and difficult, and yet he chose that path. He chose to give up splendor to come to our rough waste. But what does he do in his coming? He brings resplendent gifts. You see the words that we use here? Words like life. There is so few things more precious and powerful than life. In fact, as we think about God coming to earth, this, this giving of himself, there's a word that we use in Greek. It's found in Philippians 2. It's this word kenosis. It says that God, or Jesus, I should say, emptied himself and took on the nature of a servant and that idea is kenosis. It's, it's a word that take, you take something, you, you pour it out. That God himself emptied his being, emptied his will, emptied his desire, emptied his primacy that he might come and become our servant. He's like running around with Peter and James and John and and they not only see him as this wise teacher, but they see him heal people. They see him raise the dead. And they're like, Jesus, you should be out there rocking it and telling people what to do and building armies and taking over countries. And Jesus says, no, I didn't come here to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That's what we're talking about here. When we read these words, that is what we are talking about here. And this word life is is hinting to us. Most of us know the story. We've already gotten to it several times in the series or in the sermon, in the service. That Jesus is the resurrected one and he is the one that brings eternal life. And it struck me how often uh, the Bible must talk about eternal life. I'd never done this before, and so I just, I just went on to, uh, just in English, I typed in eternal and life, and I just wondered how often Jesus talked about eternal life. And so uh, this is how I sort of study things sometimes. When I want to know, uh, know, know something, I'll go on to like Bible Gateway, or I'll find some Bible search, and I'll just look the word up, and I'll search it, and see how many times we get hits. How much do we see? Because that's how I prove things to myself. I get more and more evidence, right? More and more evidence. And so I wanted to 
overwhelm you all with the evidence of Jesus and how much he likes to talk about eternal life. And so I started, I just did it, and I started with John, because that's the book we're in, right? So here we go, John three sixteen. you guys know this one, right? Whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. John three thirty six. whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 14, 14, or 4, 14, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, but that water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to, you guys are so good. John 5, 21, for as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so the Son gives life to whom he will. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has that was not better. You got to get better as we go, right? So you can see it's getting too much. So the, the text is all cramming together. And I'm, I'm literally at my computer starting to get a little bit bored. Like just, you know, the, there, there's a lot of verses here already. John six forty. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him shall have? Oh, my word, that was so much better. I'll raise him up on the last day. John 8, 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the word. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 10, 28, I give them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And guys, I was just, I mean, I think that's enough. Like, literally, we couldn't even make it through a whole book because I ran out of space on the slide. This is how often Jesus is constantly harping on this idea. Listen, what have I come to do? I have come to bring you life. Life now, life later, life forever. Over and over and over again, he's talking about that. And it makes me just want to stop for a second and wonder, do we talk about eternal life as much as Jesus does? I mean, that's a lot in just a few short chapters, 10, 11 chapters. And I didn't even put them all in there. I cut some out. Sometimes we find ourselves talking a lot about sin or a lot about judgment, a lot about truth, a lot about maybe our own particular doctrines or interests, whatever it is. But do we talk as much about eternal life as Jesus does? Because Jesus says, I have come, and I have come to bring life. And that's, I think, so beautiful. Sometimes we forget what this is about. And sometimes we forget how much of life is a gift, how much God is giving to us. But God is strange. And the next piece of this text I want to look at, so we looked at that John piece, right? Look at this next piece from John. The next verses, uh, five through eight, say this. Uh, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light, the true light, uh, which enlightens everyone, enters the world, right? So we have this sort of story that is now emerging. And I have always found John John 1 to be one of the most beautiful pieces of scripture because it is so deeply transcendent. Like in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And I'm just sort of thinking about these big, beautiful, huge ideas. And I'm caught up in myself and thinking about how beautiful and lovely God is. And then all of a sudden we're given John. All of a sudden we're given a human. He's broken into this text. So just hang with me for a second. If you could, I'm not suggesting you do. 
But if you could, just tear these verses out of your Bible, right? So that it went from John 1, 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it, right to John 9, the true light which enlightens everyone is coming into the world. Ooh, that just, you see how that just like connects? It's beautiful. Like it's, it's, it's seamless in its transcendence and bringing me. But instead, I get John ruining my sweet flow. Which is exactly what humans do. This art imitating life, as it were, right? I mean, when you put humans in the mix, it gets messy. Which is what I find so interesting about this. Because we just move from these big, beautiful, transcendent ideas. And immediately, God says, but the one who will deliver some of these things to you, the one who will testify about the light, it's going to be a John. It's going to be small. It's going to be... It's going to be human. That God, for whatever reason, consistently wants to utilize us to be the ones who bring about the testifying of his glory, of his power, of his life, of his hope. Like Immediately, we're introduced to that calling. And I love that because it gives me great hope for all of us. Because what we do when we see this text is we recognize that time has silenced John's voice. We have his words as it's written, but he is not walking the streets. He's not in your businesses. He's not in your families. He's not in your homes. He's not doing these things. Who then will testify to the life that's come in Jesus? Who then will testify to the light that has come in Jesus? Because it, it has to be you. And it has to be me. And it has to happen because we recognize the great, immense gift of Jesus. Like how critical is it that John completes this text? What happens if John vanishes? What happens if you do tear that out? Our witness disappears. Our testimony disappears. And this human line that God has used through Israel, through all of these scriptures where God has time and time again used broken and feeble human agents to be the representation of his grace because nothing communicates how much God loves you than when you look at your preacher or the person who's testifying to you and you say, well, that guy's kind of messed up too. And God still seems to love him or her. Like our agency to be the ones to testify to this great gift is wonderful and powerful. And it brings us back to that skinny Santa idea, doesn't it? It brings us back to this idea that what we're all about here has to be more than, than things, it has to be more than this accumulation. It has to be more than all of that. I did a little quick, I just went on the internet for a second and just did a little quick research. And here's, here's the past years of Black Friday trends. So last year, an average Black Friday shopper spent $1,000 a piece. And all the children are like, man, did mom go out last night? I can't remember. It's probably too much. When we think about when we think about Jesus and his story coming into the world, how much of his story is ostentatious? How much of his story is full of wealth and nothing, right? I mean, it's simplicity. I thought about this as I was thinking about all of these things. I was thinking about John and Jesus and their lives and how simple they were. And I was thinking about Christmas and all that. I thought to myself, this is a diabolical idea, but it's, it's, it's a good one. What if you went, parents, 
What if you went to your kids' rooms and you got all of last year's Christmas presents, right? And you rewrapped them and you put them under the tree so that when Emery gets up Christmas morning, she tears into those packages. It's last year's gift. How would you feel about that? You might not remember what you got. <laughs> that's, how, that's how full of stuff we are. You might not remember what you got. But if you did, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't be excited about it, right? Which tells us something important about everything we're about to do. It has to last more than a year, Right? The things that matter last longer than that. And so what we have to communicate to our kids and to our friends and to our family, especially to our non-Christian family, that the giftedness, the glory of God does not come in things. It doesn't come in that. It comes in us slimming down and becoming simple people who love one another generously and deeply. So while we say skinny down the spending and the running around and the hustle and the bustle and all of those things... I want you to fatten up your times together. Fatten up your times of prayer. Fatten up your times of reading scripture as a family. Sacrifice TV time to read. I mean, this is all old stuff. But listen, if we don't do these things, we're left with Coke Santa. And that's lame as much as I love Coke and Coke Santa. That's That's nothing that will not sustain life. And all of our kids and all of our lives are too difficult to not have truthful, powerful messages about who Jesus is and why he came. And that is why Christmas matters so much. This is why we get scriptural passages that warn us about judgment, that warn us about failing in our calling, about war- that warn us about not persevering or shrinking back, that warn us of the fires of hell. It warns us because this is, this is real stuff. You live in a real world with real people who are really hurting and really dying. And everything about this season outside of the church is going to try to capture your attention and busy you up with things that don't matter. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness, it can't overcome it, it can't kill it, it can't silence it, it can't make it disappear. Is that that Christmas to us? Because it needs to be. We need to be called to greater and more beautiful things because greater and more beautiful things will call us to the greatest and most beautiful thing, and that is Jesus himself. And so as we come to a conclusion this morning, I want to again reiterate this. Let's stop asking what will we get for Christmas, and let's start thinking what will we give for Christmas. Let's stop putting our time and attention on all the things that we're we're drawn to that are going to be forgotten in a year, and let's turn our attention toward the things that really matter. As we wrap it up this morning, I'm going to read the end of this passage of John, and I would like to see you stand for the reading of God's word, to listen deeply and to take it in, whether you are eight or you're 80. This is the word of the Lord. The true light 
which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came to his own, but his own people didn't receive him. But all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to be called the children of God. Not children born because of a man's desire or born by natural causes, but born of God. So the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son coming from the father full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and he cried out, this is the one whom I said he comes after me, ranks before me because he was before me. In fact, at one point John cries out, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. From his fullness we have received grace upon grace upon grace because the law came through Moses but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, the true God, the transcendent creator God except for this. Jesus Christ who is God who came to us to make this known. Let's sing to our God.